And the thing is, is when you are neglected, that is the worst type of abuse. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, when you are physically abused, yes, that hurts. And yes, but your hair will grow back, your skin will heal, the bruises will go away. You know, my mom socked me in the face months and I had a busted Gosh. lip and stayed home from school. My lips back to normal. Mm -hmm. But the emotional abuse was what stayed with me for years. Hello and welcome to the Healing and Dealing Podcast. I am your host, Charlotte, and I am so excited to go on this journey with you. Through a trauma-informed lens, we will navigate healing through conversation and connection while learning tools to embody our transformation and make lasting changes in our lives. We will cover relatable topics and discuss various modalities to put into action and ignite change. This podcast will have incredible guests who will share their story and provide proof that even in the darkest times, there is light waiting for us. If you landed here, it's for a reason. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Healing and Dealing podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce Payola Rosser, and she's actually going to introduce herself because I don't have a bio in front of me, and I'm sure she'll do a much better job. So Payola, do you want to introduce yourself to all the listeners? Yes. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to Healing and Dealing. <laughs> I am Payola Rosser. I am the founder and CEO of the Fearless Female Movement. I have a podcast called Journey of a Fearless Female. I've been coaching women for the last four years. I mainly love working with women who are at the beginning of their healing journey. I love when the women have those existential questions of what is my purpose? Why am I here? And I guide them through untangling limiting beliefs old uh, religious dogma, healing from their trauma and their past and their programming. I like to tell people, I kind of deprogram you and insert a new program. And so many business coaches tell me, well, what does that mean? Right. And I'm like, well, you have to call to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I've been doing, yeah, I've been doing it for four mm. years now. And it, wow. and honestly, like I, as a coach, I did not grow up saying I want to be a coach. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. something that I was a little girl saying, I want to be a coach. It just happened naturally, honestly. Yeah. And when I interview coaches on my podcast, I love hearing that the reason why they became a coach is because after they have started to heal, they realize that there's a lot of other people out there suffering and they want to help them bring them to the light. <clears throat> and that's exactly what I love doing is helping the souls that are stuck in the darkness to bring them yeah. to the light. I love that. And that's why I love you so much because I feel like we're just such on the same page and, you know, doing the same work. And I've looked up to you at, through this beginning journey of, of my own and I've reached out to you so many times. You've been such a huge help for me creating my podcast and inspiring me and coaching me up. And I just truly appreciate you. And I'm so glad that I have you on my podcast now, you know, like who would have thought? <laughs> yes. I love the way we met. It was, we were at an event and you came mm -hmm. up to me and it was, I could tell you were shyly approaching me. And it still to me boggles me that people look up to me because I just feel like I'm just a normal person, you know, doing mm -hmm. the thing. And you don't see just how far ahead of the journey you are exactly. until you meet somebody who's at the beginning of their journey. And then you realize, wow, I've already done all this work, you know, yeah. and sometimes you criticize yourself into thinking, well, you're not where you want to be, mm -hmm. but 
you forget about the the stuff that you've already accomplished. And in that event, you know, people were like, oh, I'm just about to start a podcast or I only have a hundred unique downloads. And I'm over here ashamed of my podcast when it has, you know, at the time I thought it only had 40,000 unique downloads because I rarely used to check my mm -hmm. statistics. And then after that event, I came home and I was like, wait, I'm at 55 unique downloads. I was like, what is going on? You know, and, and that's the thing you, you forget to really see how far you've come, yeah. you know, and you still you beat yourself up. I'm guilty of it too. I beat myself up thinking I'm not that far ahead when in reality, you've done the work you've put in the reps, you really have moved along on your journey. When I heard you speak on the panel at that event, I immediately was drawn to you, your story, and especially when you talked about gratitude and how when you were in that really dark place years ago, how that really was like your saving grace and you would write down like every day things that you were grateful for, even though the way you were living was not how you wanted to, to live. I was so inspired by that because that's how I felt for so long. I was in such a negative place. And once you can really start being grateful for the small things that we take for granted every single day, you realize, wow, I do have so much. And then from there, it just explodes. It just gets yes. bigger and bigger. So that that really touched my heart when you talked about that. And you are just like such a boss, you know, when you were talking, I was like, yes, I love her. And I had to talk to you. That's why I saw you outside and I was like, this is my chance. <laughs> I'm going to go talk to her. And yeah. I, I felt like we both came from really similar places as kids. And I knew that you, there was going to be some kind of connection there. So thank yeah. you for allowing me in. And you, you opened your heart to me right away. And we bonded, I think, that night. And it's just continued to grow. So I appreciate yes. you. Oh, man, it was just an incredible event. It really was. It and was. when I sat there and I talked about my that story of like, you know, writing down everything that I was grateful for. That was my pivotal moment where everything changed in my life. You know, let's go back to like the beginning of my journey yes. and where, why I am the woman that I am today, because I, sometimes I look back and I'm like, I can, I've lived many lifetimes. Mm -hmm. I've lived many lifetimes and it has shaped me to be the woman that I am today. And so I'm one of seven. For those wow. of you who are listening on the podcast and you can't see me, I'm Mexican. I don't, I don't see people say, you don't sound Mexican. <laughs> well, I am. Orale, Latina. <laughs> you want me to say, orale, to make you feel better. But I am Mexican. I'm first generation Mexican. I'm one of seven. I'm the seventh child. Both my mom and dad were born and raised in Mexico and they came to the United States before I was born. Me and my sister Lilia were what we call, uh, you know, anchor kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so my dad had a business and he was an entrepreneur and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I'm one of seven, but only six of us survived. I have a sister who passed away when she was three months old oh, and I never wow. met her. So I, I, you know, but yeah, coming to America, my parents didn't speak English at all. And neither did my wow. siblings who came from Mexico to here and they assimilated, they, they did mm -hmm. their best. My mom comes from... A, you know, she was the first of 15 oh and she gosh. comes from a young mom and, you know, there was no talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was no talk about like, how is this affecting my child or how will this affect my child for the rest of their life? And yeah. it, 
I look at my family and they have a really hard time expressing emotion. They have Mm -hmm. a really hard time saying, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And growing up, like it was very volatile. It was a very volatile environment. I was physically and emotionally abused for years. And, you know, not only was I abused, but my sisters were abused. I I watched my mom abuse my dad. I watched my brother-in-law or my brother fight with my sister-in-law fighting and yelling and screaming Mm -hmm. and pulling each other's hair and punching each other and scratching each other till we bled was the norm. Mm -hmm. It was the normal environment. Yeah, there was no difference, you know, and you know, I'm, if you can't see me, I'm 43 years old. So in the time that I was growing up, there was no social media, Mm -hmm. there was no talking about what was going on and sharing your daily thoughts or emotions. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. There was no MySpace. So everything that was going on with me behind closed doors, I suffered in silence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've done so much research about the mind and everything. And your mind is being developed from the age of one to seven. Yeah. Bruce Lipton, Joe Dispenza, they talk about how your mind from one to seven is like a sponge. So whether or not someone is actually teaching you directly how to be, you are learning by mirroring your Mm -hmm. caregivers or you're learning by copying them. You know, you're mirroring, you're copying them, you're, you're watching them and you're like, oh, that's how you handle emotional distress. That's how you handle conflict. That's how you handle showing your affection. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, take it back to Paola, who's like six and five and seven years old. She is learning that love is toxic. Yeah. That how you handle conflict is by yelling, screaming, pulling each other's hair my mom would also stop talking to us, neglect us. If we pissed her off, Mm -hmm. she would neglect you for months, sometimes even years in your own house. Stonewalling. Completely. I I mean, I remember walking down the hallway and my mom would move to the side as if I had a disease. Wow. I remember my mom, me walking into a room and my mom looking at me and walking out as if she just couldn't stand the sight of me. Mm. I remember sitting at the dinner table and asking to pass the salt. My mom would say, Lilia, can you tell Paola to pass the salt? As if I didn't exist at the uh-huh. dinner table. And if you've ever done any research about how trauma, emotional abuse, all of this, I watched this video of this lady who did a circle in prison. Mm-hmm. And she had all the prison convicts sit in a circle and she says, take one step forward if you've received this type of abuse. Mm-hmm. And all of them who have been in jail have received emotional, psychological, physical, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is when you are neglected, that is the worst type of abuse. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, when you are physically abused... Yes, that hurts. And yes, but your hair will grow back. Your skin will heal. The bruises will go away. You know, my mom socked me in the face once and I had a busted lip and stayed home from school. My lips back to normal, Mm -hmm. but the emotional abuse was what stayed with me for years. Yeah. And because of all that I experienced, you know, here is seven-year-old Paola with this view of the world 
And, you know, now she's growing into her teens, into her twenties and into her thirties. And my toolbox was full of toxic behavior and toxic patterns. Yeah. And so what happens when that happens is I started getting into toxic relationships, mm-hmm. toxic friendships, toxic jobs. I allowed coworkers and um, bosses to treat me, to sexualize me, to, and just because I wanted their approval, I wanted right. to feel accepted. <clears throat> I wanted to be in a circle of like, mm-hmm. I'm part of your tribe, you know? And when you're around people who suffer, who are in the toxic, you know, environment, who grew up in that, mm-hmm. everybody's like, well, that's normal. My mom right. did it. Your mom did it. We're, we're all in the same suffering, right. not knowing that there's a whole different way of living. Exactly. And and that was my my whole life. Like I got into one negative relationship after another. And it was when I was 26 years old was when kind of like it was like the the kind of the little aha moment before mm-hmm. I hit my big aha moment. So because I've had many dark nights <laughs> of the soul. And this was uh, January of 2006. 2006 was the worst year of my life. I was with a man who was emotionally and physically abusive and he was younger than me. I was 26. He was 24. I was making more money than him, but he was smoking weed and just hanging out with his friends because he had me, his sugar mama, to take care of him. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a Sunday night and he was smoking weed with his friends and I had to go to work for my regular corporate job on Monday. Mm-hmm. And I simply came out there to tell him to please turn down the music and to lower their volume because I needed to go to sleep. We lived in a small one bedroom apartment. The the wall was very thin Mm -hmm. and I just needed to go to sleep because I had to wake up early. And he came, I said that I was, you know, please turn it down. And I went into my room and he came in and he put his hand around my neck. And just as he was going to, you know, do as he normally does, my friend opened the door, a mutual friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And I remember the look on her face. Because the abuse that I had experienced with him, I hid behind closed doors, just wow. like I learned to do when I was young. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. hide it. Nobody needs to know what happens behind closed doors. So I hid it for years. And the look on her face when she opened the door was as if I was watching my own Lifetime movie. Wow. And I had watched many a Lifetime movies mm-hmm. on the couch watching and thinking, why doesn't she just leave? She right. needs to get up and go. Like, I don't understand why she's still with this loser. Right. And that moment was my aha moment. Like, I'm I'm the girl in the Lifetime movie. I'm the one that hasn't left. I'm mm-hmm. the one that's allowing this behavior. And so I remember I went home. I packed a bag and I went to my sister's house because I mm-hmm. lived with this guy. And, you know, I confessed to my sister that everything was a lie and that this is what he was doing. He was not only stealing money from our bank account to go gamble and buy drugs, but he was also physically and emotionally abusive. And my sister was like, what? I don't understand because, you know, I had painted this beautiful picture of who he Mm -hmm. was. And I stayed with my sister for three months. And during that three months, because I still wasn't healed, Mm -hmm. my toxic riddled mind thought, I need to go beg him to take me back. Wow. I need to beg him. What am I doing, Pilla? He's going to be the best person you'll ever be with. And just those small windows of love mm-hmm. was what I thought I was worthy of. Yeah. And so I went back. I tried to talk to his mom 
and convince his mom to let like to go tell him to take me back and I remember it like it was yesterday I was sitting across from her tears in my eyes explaining Mm -hmm. to her what her son had been doing and the relationship that we had had for the last two and a half years and she started to cry and she said turned into his dad wow because do you know why me and his dad are divorced and I said no he never really told me well one day I discovered that he had stolen forty thousand dollars out of my retirement account oh my gosh gambling gambling to try to double it and he used to leave the house and not tell me where he was going which is one that my ex-boyfriend used to be infamous for just leave the house turn off his phone and not tell me where he's at and I would just lay on the couch full of anxiety worried sick not only that he was cheating on me but that he was like dead in a ditch or Mm -hmm. you know a drug deal gone bad or something and and she was like I used to stay up all night worried about where he was and then when I would question him he would like assault me and push me up against the wall and she was like he's exactly like his dad again here is the like light bulb moment that we repeat patterns because Mm -hmm. even though you as a parent don't want your kid to know this or don't they are watching they are learning they are mirroring they are saying oh this is how it is yeah so it wasn't I look back and you know I don't fault him too much but I do see the pattern the Mm -hmm. pattern and that's where I immediately noticed the pattern I said thank you very much I don't want to be you in 30 years please don't please don't tell them to call me um nice to know you lady I grabbed my purse I got in my car and I went home and in that moment in um so let's go back so when you are discovering all of these negative emotions and Mm -hmm. you don't know how to self-regulate you have one of five different ways to self-regulate fight or flight freeze or fawn what's the other one I don't even know but what mine was fight or flight Mm -hmm. and I was going there to fight for my relationship But then I was like, this isn't going to work. I'm going to fly. I'm (laughs) I'm going to take off. Right. And so I did exactly that. Not only did I leave that relationship, but I packed my bags and moved 30 minutes away. Mm. I was like, I don't want to be around him. I don't want to be around his family. And in that time frame, my father passed away unexpectedly. And so here I am in a new apartment with a random girl that I met on Craigslist. I have no job. I have no money in my savings account. I am mourning the loss of my dad and Mm -hmm. I'm mourning the loss of this relationship because I wasn't sad that, you know, he doesn't want me back or that we broke up. I was sad at the idea of what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And obviously he's not that person. So then I started to ask those existential questions. What's wrong with me? Mm. What's my purpose? Why am I here then to feel Mm -hmm. all this pain? I don't understand it. I would have these like long conversations with God at 3 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you allowing this? I don't understand it. I don't understand this pain. Why did you take my dad? Why? Between the two parents, (laughs) why did you take my dad? You know, like I was really just in this so much emotional pain. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand it. And I didn't have very good coping mechanisms. So my coping mechanism was drugs, alcohol, and men. Mm-hmm. And what did I do? I went out and I partied and I had fun with girlfriends and I had fun with, uh, you know, 
my friends, we were dancing and drinking and I thought, wow, I'm over it. I'm mm-hmm. over it. Look at me. I'm surviving. Yeah. I'm great. I'm living in the at the beach and I'm drinking it up and I'm dancing every weekend in Vegas and I'm shopping and I'm, you know, and I have a new boyfriend. I have new girlfriends, but I didn't stop to think that I just took the same bullshit from yeah. one city to another city. You're still and- hiding it. And still hiding it and coping and just drinking away my problems. And it was, it was really, really hard because the patterns continued. The relationship took toxic, went toxic. The friendships went toxic. The jobs went toxic. I was having blackout nights. Mm. I was drowning in debt. And yet, and now I have officially lost my job. Wow. And I was like, what is going on again? Mm-hmm. What is going on? I don't understand, you know, and I was unemployed, drowning in debt, alone in a small studio apartment, contemplating unaliving myself mm-hmm. because I felt so alone in my pain. And yes, yeah. at this point, there was Facebook and Instagram now, but people were posting their perfect mm-hmm. you know, perfect like uh what is it called curated feed mm-hmm. right where everyone's posting their perfect little pictures of their vacations and their job and their car and their house and their kids and and I was 33 and single and all of my friends from high school were married with children and And, you know, they had their houses and their cars and their jobs. And Mm -hmm. here I was unemployed with a Honda Civic that had a front bumper that was scratching the floor every time (laughs) I drove somewhere. I was drowning in debt and I was single. And I just remember crying my eyes out every single night. Like I could barely afford, you know, top ramen and tuna sandwiches. And I remember there were times where I would just drink NyQuil so that I could sleep the day away because if I left my house, it would cost me 20 to $30. And my rent at the time was 900. Unemployment was 850. Do Mm -hmm. the math. Everything Mm -hmm. else had to go on credit cards. And so I was so afraid of leaving my small studio apartment because I didn't want to spend any more money. Yeah. And I remember one night I really was contemplating just not waking up Mm -hmm. and I cried myself to sleep I had taken some sleeping pills not a lot I just took enough to go to sleep Mm -hmm. but that night I had the most vivid dream and some people may think that I'm crazy some people may think that I (laughs) made it up but I truly truly believe in spirit in the divine in God in the universe the field of potentiality whatever you want to call it your higher self I really believe in that. And I lived in a small studio apartment where my bed faced the door to walk in because you would literally walk in and it was my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Part of it. You walked in and there was my bedroom. There was my dresser. There was my TV. You uh, had a small little kitchenette, which I made into my office. And then you turn the corner and there was like my kitchen, which just had a hot plate where only one side of the hot plate worked. I had three plates. Uh, one bowl, two spoons, one fork, one knife. <laughs> um, and I had my little shower. And I remember I had fallen asleep and I woke up to a bright light, a bright light. And my door swung open. And I How? kid you not, my dad walked through that door. Oh, I got the chills. 
her in perfect condition. Like my dad was an alcoholic and he died from alcoholism. And I was there at his last moments. And I remember him telling me like, don't chase the dollar, like enjoy life, go see the world, like Mm. see the world because I didn't get to, I've only seen Mexico and Southern California go see Mm -hmm. the world. But when he walked through that door, he was perfect. He had all of his teeth. He had all of his hair. He was perfect. And he was glowing in white. Mm. And I remember jumping from the bed and I ran to him and I'm hugging him in the middle of my small studio apartment. And I was like, Papi, I want to go home. I want to go with you. I don't want to be here anymore. I can't do it. And he just like held me and he said, it's not your time. Mm. Not your time. And he was like, everything is going to get better. And I'm like, when, how, I don't understand. Please stay. I want to go with you. And he said, everything is going to get better. And in that moment, like, it was like as if it was like less than three minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. as he was gone. And I woke up. I literally remember waking up like, like I had to catch my breath. Like it was just so. Mm -hmm. And that moment like had me questioning everything and I stopped drinking. Mm. I didn't drink for an entire year. I went to church three times a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday, Mondays, Mm -hmm. Wednesdays, and Sundays. Mondays was women's, you know, a women's circle. Wednesdays Mm -hmm. was a children's ministry that I did children's ministry. And then Sundays I went to church. I stopped drinking. So I would come home and I would turn on an Uber app. I started Ubering. I started walking dogs for money. I started cleaning houses. I sold hot dogs at the Anaheim Stadium. I mean, you, if you could make money doing it without Mm -hmm. it being illegal, (laughs) I did it. And I mean, in that time, before I even started doing all that, it took me a while to get past that, like still feeling sorry for myself and victim mentality. And mm-hmm. I remember like after that happened with my dad and I was like in that, you know, that moment of like, I really need to do something, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I really need to change my life, but I don't know how to change my life. And I, in that small studio apartment, I would speak out loud to God, source the divine spirit, whatever you want to believe in. I spoke out loud to this thing that I mm-hmm. know controls everything and everyone you right. could call it infinite intelligence you could call it the dude it has a it the has higher, a real yeah, well, I always say it has a sense of humor right <laughs> <laughs> it has right. a sense of humor so you could call it the dude the source the divine the Jedi whatever you want to call it I call it God because I grew up in the Catholic Church and Christianity and I was like well what do you want to okay thank you for that beautiful vision of my dad mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do now like right will be nothing like it's going to get good but how you know and I would have these like out loud conversations I mean my neighbor downstairs probably thought I was nuts yeah you know and I would be like tell me how like how is it going to get good because mm-hmm. in because in that moment all that I saw was no evidence of things yeah. becoming good ever right. like and so I remember I was, I went to church and I came back on a Sunday and I had this recliner that I watched on, you know, I watched my television. I sat on this like 
brown leather recliner mm -hmm. and I had a TV tray for my dinner table mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was sitting in front. I had made myself dinner and I was sitting watching Super Soul Sunday and um, Oprah had said, you know, if you want to change your life, the one thing that really changed my life was a gratitude journal. And she was like, if you every day wake up and write 10 things that you're grateful for, I kid you not, your life will change. It's the law of increase. And I said, this lady. <laughs> you're <all> Oprah who? <laughs> I'm like, no, I sat there on my, like a little kid, mm -hmm. like throwing a tantrum. I have nothing to be grateful for. Yeah. You know, I am unemployed. I am drowning in debt. I am single. I drive a stinking Honda Civic with a, the bumper falling off. I have two plates, two, you know, and I was just like, so I was listing everything that was wrong in my life. Yeah. And the next day I was like, okay, I'm going to force myself to write 10 things I was grateful for. And I'm going to force myself to leave my actual studio apartment and go mm -hmm. for a walk around the neighborhood. I actually lived in a beautiful neighborhood in Costa Mesa and I'd forced myself because before I was just drinking NyQuil to stay in bed and not leave. And so can I ask what you wrote? Do you remember? Oh God, it was so hard. It was so hard mm -hmm. in the beginning because like I said, I could not find anything to yeah. be grateful for. And so, okay. I was like, okay, Paola, you have to write 10 things. Mm -hmm. Fine. <laughs> I'm thankful that I'm alive. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I could see. I'm thankful that I could walk. I could talk. I have hands. I'm thankful that I have a bed. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful that I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful for the gas in my car, albeit only a half a tank, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for the food in my refrigerator, albeit it's top ramen and tuna. I'm thankful for these things, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I started to do that every single day. I'm thankful for that I could see. I'm thankful that I could walk. I'm thankful that I could talk. I'm thankful that I'm alive. I'm thankful that I'm healthy. And then eventually I got a job offer. Mm. And then eventually I was making enough money to start paying off my debt. Mm. And then eventually my debt was paid off. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I got to move out of that small studio apartment. <laughs> And I got a brand new apartment. It was literally within five to six months. Everything. Wow. I had a one bedroom apartment with a full kitchen. I mean, I had <laughs> lived in that small studio apartment for five years. Really? And yes. Oh, wow. Because I And I remember when I moved there, I was like, this is temporary. I'm going to yeah. find the man of my dreams and we're going <laughs> to move into a huge house. This is just temporary. I lived there for five years. I, I had, didn't know that. Wow. I had the most... I can't even tell you how many dark nights of the soul I had in that small studio apartment. But I remember like moving into this new apartment. I had just paid off all my debt. I was making a lot of money in my new job and I got to buy all my furniture cash. Mm -hmm. Like I got to go into living spaces and say, I'll take that, <laughs> I'll take that and pay for it in cash. I had a second uh, side hustle and, you know, I was like, you know what, Paola, you're just going to be the best property manager, best sister, best daughter, best aunt, best friend you can be. Mm -hmm. I, you're not going to find a man because in my mind, I was still thinking all men are losers. All men are cheaters, you know, and obviously I have a bad picker, so I should just like not even try. And mm -hmm. I forgot to mention that right before I moved into this apartment, I was dating a guy who I caught cheating on me and he grabbed me by the neck and choked me outside of a restaurant. And that oh was that gosh. aha moment where I was like, 
something's got to give, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like something's got to give. That was one of those reasons why I was crying myself to sleep. Not only was I unemployed, but this just happened with that guy. And I was just like, can it get any worse? Mm -hmm. Can it get any worse? Like, I really was just like, I'm done. I'm done living life because I obviously don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so now I'm in my new apartment. I have this job. I've paid off all my debt. I have a side hustle that's making me $400 a weekend. It was a photo booths for weddings. Nice. And um, I was really feeling myself. I got to tell you, <laughs> I was really feeling myself. That's I was good. like starting to listen to motivational YouTube videos every mm -hmm. morning. So not only did that Super Soul Sunday change my life, but I became religious watching Super Soul Sunday. Super Soul, it was like I would go to church. And then I would come home, make myself something to eat. And I would sit in front of the TV and watch Super Soul Sunday. And every <laughs> single person that Oprah had on, Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, mm -hmm. Gabriel Bernstein, Michael Singer, every single person that she had on, I mm -hmm. was like, who is that guy? And I need to read his books. Joe wow. Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, every single person. I was like, I need to know what they're teaching. Right. And I started to slowly learn that we are programmable mm -hmm. and, and yes, some of us have been programmed with toxic behaviors, toxic patterns and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was one of them. But the thing is, is that you can unprogram yourself. Right. And that we have the ability to deprogram and insert a new program. So yes. every day I was watching motivational YouTube videos and every day I was standing in front of my mirror. I am beautiful. I am smart. I am capable. I am loving. I am lovable. I like, I was like making lists every single day. Like, what do you want for life? I was just like, this is, these are the things that I want in my life. I want to be married. I want someone who loves me, who thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I want, you know, to make, to meet someone who makes as much money as me or more, mm -hmm. because the last guy I dated made $13 an hour. And every single time we went somewhere, he like belittled me <laughs> because he was emasculated that I made more money than him. And oh, so I was like, gosh. I want somebody that he makes as much money as me or more. I want somebody who loves God as much as me or more. Mm -hmm. I want someone who's funny. And I just was writing everything down, making lists. I want to be able to have more than one pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to own Lulu. Lululemon. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to like, I just, I want to drive a Range Rover. You know, I was like making vision boards and like lists and <laughs> listen to motivational videos and everything that was, you know, I was trying it all. And then fast forward, it was December, 2015, the beginning of December. I was a property manager. I was managing 10 commercial buildings in Orange County. I was making $90,000 a year. I had no debt. Wow. I was like living by the beach. I was like, I have made it mm -hmm. and I am doing really, really good. <laughs> yeah. And I had bought my first Christmas tree and I called my nephew to come help me bring it up the stairs because it was a two-story apartment. Mm -hmm. And I had bought all my decorations from the 99 cent store mm -hmm. and I was playing Mariah Carey. That's and, what I play. <laughs> and I love Mariah Carey. And I was in this state of pure bliss. Mm. So Your bliss. And I, my, as soon as I plugged in that tree, it was the inner child within me. Cause I didn't get my first Christmas tree till I was 10. Wow. So, and Christmas was always like this hard event because, mm -hmm. you know, we never had any money and there was never enough. And, and so for me, I was like, I have plenty of money mm -hmm. to buy my little heart, my little soul, my little girl, whatever she wants. Yes. And she's going to get a Christmas tree. And I turned on that light and I, 
kid you not, I was singing and my nephew was on the couch just eating popcorn. And I remember I turned to him and I said, next year, I'm going to be decorating this tree with my husband. He about choked on his popcorn because <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you're not even dating anybody, Paola. You're mm -hmm. not even on any apps. Like, what are you talking? You've lost it. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't like I was drinking eggnog or anything like that. I yeah. was completely sober sitting in front of this beautiful Christmas tree with beautiful little red uh, bows that I bought from the 99 cent store, listening to Mariah Carey. And in that moment, nobody could tell me any different. Mm -hmm. I was going to be married. I felt it in my soul. I felt it in me. And that's the thing about manifesting mm -hmm. is the key to manifesting isn't just about making the lists and the vision boards and declaring it out loud. It's about feeling exactly. the feeling of how it's going to feel when you have it yep. as if you already have it. And in that moment, I felt already that I was going to be married, decorating the same tree with my mm -hmm. husband next year. That was the beginning of December of 2015. Fast forward 10 days, 10 days. And my now husband asked me out on a date. Oh, I get chills. Just oh, my about gosh. Where, where, yeah. Where'd you meet him? He was one of my tenants. I was, oh, okay. a, I was a property manager. He was one of my tenants and I had uh, met with him for a year prior because okay. his business was booming and he moved from a small town, kind of a townhome type of uh, office building into a huge office building. Mm -hmm. My husband is the co-founder of Kajabi. And so if you guys oh, wow. know what Kajabi is, it, yes. it, it really <laughs> exploded. And so he was moving into this building and I was his project property manager and I had to meet with him once a week for a year, but I didn't honestly ever take off the glasses to see him in any kind of capacity of like, oh, I yeah. want to be with him because I was on my own healing journey. I really wasn't looking for another man. Mm -hmm. After that ex-boyfriend choked me out, I was like, I'm done. Like mm -hmm. I like, hang my hat up because I am never <laughs> going to be in another relationship again. And so I never saw him in that way. And in that, in the year that we were talking, I was in the process of healing. Mm -hmm. I was in the process of paying off my debt. I was in the process of really untangling all of the belief systems that were implanted in me and imprinted in my subconscious mind as I was a child. Yeah. So I was doing the work. And so when he asked me out on a date, it caught me completely off guard. I mm -hmm. mean, that was the first time someone had asked me out on a date in person since elementary school, junior mm -hmm. high, high school, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when he asked me on a date, I told him no. And he said, why? And I said, because I work for you and I can't go out with anybody that I work for. My boss would fire me. And he said, okay, well, I'll just buy the building then. And I was like, oh my who, God. Who, does this, who does this guy think he is? Right. Wow. I didn't know. I didn't know. And then that was on the 10th. And then five days later, I was, it was a Saturday night and I was sitting at home in my apartment. I had just bought a brand new, uh, paper shredder from Costco. And, <laughs> and I was shredding papers on a Saturday night watching Grey's Anatomy, looking at my Christmas tree and thinking, this can't be my life. Mm. Like, I have so much more to give. This can't yeah. be my life. And so I texted him and I said, hey, I would love to pick your brain on a business idea. Because I had um, my photo booth business and I mm -hmm. didn't know what Kajabi did. So I thought he could build me a website. So I was like, you know, can I pick your brain? And he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, can you do tomorrow or two days from now? And so I was like, sure. And so on December 17th, 2015, we went on our first date and we have been inseparable ever since. Wow. We got married December, 2016. I was actually decorating that same Christmas tree in my now home in Tribuco Canyon. And I mean, 
That is I, crazy. My life completely turned around. I kid you not, Charlotte. Everything that I pinned on that vision board, I got. Mm -hmm. I've been to Bora Bora. I've been to Fiji. I've held a koala in Australia. I have a white Range Rover in my driveway. <laughs> I've had multiple commas in my bank account. Mm -hmm. Literally, my life completely turned upside down. And now I would love to say that that was my beautiful, you know, everlasting story. But when you have never been loved unconditionally mm -hmm. and you think you've done the work, and then all of a sudden somebody shows up and tries to love you unconditionally. Yeah. It's as if you don't understand it. And mm -hmm. that that was me. I completely didn't understand a whole different environment, yeah. right? You probably were really closed off. I well, I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. I was, I remember when, when we got engaged, he took me to uh, Kauai mm -hmm. and we were in a presidential suite at the St. Regis. And we walked in and he went to turn on the light switch. And I went like this because I thought at that moment was when he was going to hit me. Oh and my he, gosh. And he was like, what, what happened? Is there a bug? <laughs> and I was like, no, I, I thought you were going to hit me. Oh my gosh. And he said, I would never hit you. I would never hit you. And I, I was like, he, and I just cried and he goes, you know, I'm really sorry that that ever happened to you, but I, that's not me. I would never do that. I'll never lay my hands on you. And your body after that, had a, your body had an automatic reaction. Yeah. Well, your wow. body keeps score. Your body mm -hmm. has all stored trauma in you. And if you don't work on it, it's, it's going to have that automatic reaction and fight or flight was one of my favorite things. And so anytime we had any kind of fight, I threw the ring at him mm -hmm. and I packed a bag and I was like, I'm leaving. I don't need you. And, and I had to go to therapy for the first year of our relationship because I could not understand his love. I could oh. not understand it. It was something that I had never received as a child. It was something I had never received from friends. It was mm -hmm. something that I had never received from a, you know, a boss, a coworker. Not every person in my life was toxic and was very just limited. And it was just yeah. not a good, good thing. And so it was really hard for me to understand that. And I had to go to therapy and, you know, thank God, you know, we had the money for me to be able to do that. And not only that, but I had to heal all of the trauma that was stored in my body, mm -hmm. not just from childhood, but from all the bad relationships, all the bad friendships, everything. And I've done everything from tuning forks to <laughs> uh, weightless tanks to acupuncture to EMT is EMDR. Mm -hmm. I've done somatic healing. I have done emotion code, which I love. That's the one that works mm -hmm. the best with me. Um, I've done everything to try to really heal all the parts of me, including psychedelics. I've done psychedelics because it really helps open up it one does. of my favorite ones. It just helps you to shut that fight or flight part of your brain down. And it yes. really helps you to just see all of your pain and all of your trauma from a different point of view. Yeah. And it allowed me to go back to my inner child and to hug her and to tell her, you are safe now. Mm -hmm. That is not you anymore. You are not in that environment anymore. 
you are safe, you are sound, you are divinely protected. Mm -hmm. And that is my mantra. That is what I, but what I live by now, it's what I help my students learn, my clients learn. And yeah, it, you are capable of changing your whole life. And that was one thing that I believed that wasn't true because when you are in the same environment and where you were traumatized or where you were hurt, you don't see that there's a possibility of change. Right. You don't because you're in that same environment. And then you surround yourself with people who are still in those toxic behaviors and patterns. And so you think, well, if they're there, then I should be okay being here. Mm -hmm. If you really want to change, it it takes a lot. Um, I love that Marissa Peer, who is the founder of uh, Rapid Transformational Therapy, she says you have to become, number one, a detective. Mm -hmm. Become a detective and figure out where did these limiting beliefs, right. these you know thought patterns, where did these negative belief systems where did these ideas come from because if you're sitting there listening to your voice inside your head mm -hmm. that voice is telling you negative things right and i know because we have over 60 to 90 000 thoughts and 90 percent of them especially if you came from a traumatic childhood are negative yeah so for me my thoughts were always like i'm not good enough i'm not worthy me I'm too unlovable. um you know all these negative things. And mm -hmm. so I would start becoming a detective. Wait a minute. Where did this come from? Who told me I wasn't good enough? Oh, my mom. Who told me I was unlovable? My mom. Mm -hmm. Who told me I was, you know, unworthy, undeserving. Of course, if you grow up in a family, especially if you grow up in a family where there's not enough money and they tell you no, like my mom and dad would tell me, no, we don't have enough. What do you mm -hmm. mean? We don't have any more, you know? And it wasn't like, I'm so sorry. We don't have enough. No, it was like, no, we don't have enough. Like, I can't believe you're asking for this, yeah. you know? And so all these negative belief system, I started to become a detective. Where did they come from? What did I learn? What did mm -hmm. I see? What was I mirroring? How did people solve problems when I grew up? Oh, yeah. that's why I am the way I am. Mm -hmm. And then Marissa Pierce says, after you become a detective, and you figure out, like she says, make sure you take a journey to your past. She has a beautiful meditation where she asks you to go to your old childhood home mm -hmm. and look for your inner child and sit with her and see what she sees, mm -hmm. hear what she hears, smell what she smells, feel what she feels, and then take her out of that childhood home, take her where you live now and tell her, look where you live now. I love that. You're not that person anymore. Yeah. You're in a safe environment. You're not like one of the things that I've been working on myself is like my money mindset mm -hmm. is like, even though I, like I've said earlier, I have multiple commas in my bank account. I still have the mindset of a poor little girl from, yeah. you know, who's had her house repossessed, who's had, because my family just never were good with money and they were always having the house repossessed. They were having the electricity shut off. Mm -hmm. you, the hot, the hot water was shut off. Like the pool was turning green because we couldn't afford the freaking pool, man. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, I, I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. I, but the trauma is still in there. My inner child is still there. I tell my um, clients, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I tell them to carry a picture mm. of their, their little girl. I love that. And to talk to her and to tell her, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Yeah. But that's not you anymore. Look where we look where we at now. Look what we drive. Mm -hmm. Look at the things that we have in the closet. Look at who loves us. Yeah. You know, 
look at where we're at. You made it, you know? And so then the second thing is after you've gone through your line of like, where did you, you became a detective, you started to figure out what you saw, what you heard, what created those limiting beliefs, those negative dogma, the religious tactics, you know, all of that untethering and untangling. Mm -hmm. You become, she says, a dentist. You become a dentist and you extract all Ooh. of the cavities. You extract all of the rot, mm -hmm. all of the stuff, the infection. You extract it from your brain. Mm -hmm. you know? And I have a beautiful meditation. If you follow me on my YouTube channel at Fearless Female, it's called the cleaning of your mind. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. And you go into that meditation and, you know, in my meditation, I talk about how there's boxes and uh, magazines with titles. You're not good enough. Mm -hmm. Boxes that are filled with insults and criticism. Some people even gave you their box. You mm -hmm. know, it could have been your mom, your caretaker, your grandmother. It could have been your school teacher that told you you're not good at math. Mm hmm. Or you're never going to be smart or your grandmother who said, oh, you're never going to get married. You're past 25. That's what somebody told me. You're past 25. You're milkmaid now. No one will ever marry you, wow. you know, or your trainer. I had a trainer tell me you're too fat. No man is ever going to love you. Oh you know, gosh. people give you their limiting beliefs, their negative shit mm -hmm. and they store it. Guess who's storing it in your brain? You are. Yeah. You have a dirty mind in your mind. You have all these people's limiting beliefs, their dogma, their bullshit, and you've mm -hmm. stored it in your mind. So the, in the meditation, we go through the process of cleaning it and we wipe away all the dust and we get rid of the boxes and the magazines filled with hate. And we add, you are lovable. You are amazing. You are capable. You are intelligent, mm -hmm. you know, and we create a brand new space. It's beautiful. Um, one of the books that I really love is, uh, I think it's called self-talk, positive self-talk. Mm -hmm. And um, he talks about how even after you clean the room, you might want to go back and pick things up because we're used to it. It's our mm -hmm. comfort, right? If you've sat in the same dirty sofa and you've created your little wedge, even if you threw it out, some of us will go back and pick it up mm -hmm. because it makes us feel comfortable. That's mm -hmm. the healing process. The thing about the healing process is it's not a one and done. Right. I mean, I've had multiple, multiple uh, dark nights of the soul. It's not a one and done. It's you have to, you have to like really truly go through the process. And some of us have been in an old emotional home of pain and darkness. And that's where we feel the most comfortable. Mm -hmm. That's where we know we feel the pain. We want to feel the pain. So sometimes you'll bring back the old couch or the tattered magazines or go get the box of your friend who told you you were ugly when you wear your hair in a bun. These are all mm. things people told me. Mm -hmm. Never wear your hair in a bun pale because you look really ugly. Like, oh my gosh. Hey, you're a really great friend there. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. people tell you these things, you know, and you store them in your head. Yeah. And so then, you know, what Marissa Peer says is that you have to extract the infection. You have to clean out the room of your mind. Mm -hmm. You have to let go of everybody else's crap that they stored in your brain. And then the last thing she said is you have to become a coder. Because like I said earlier in the interview, is that we were all being programmed. Mm-hmm. We, without our consent, right? We, 
we right. unfortunately couldn't pick, even though some people say in the soul's journey that you did pick your parents, but you know, we didn't get to have any control of what was happening in that time frame. Yeah. But now you do. Now mm-hmm. you're a grown adult and you have the freedom of choice to reprogram yourself. What are you programming yourself every single day? Yeah. And some of us don't even know that we're programming ourselves negatively because it's just been a pattern of ours. Mm-hmm. Walking in front of the mirror, what do you say to yourself? Oh, I'm so fat. God, I'm so fat. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that hamburger. Oh, look at those ugly arms. Look at that lower belly. Mm-hmm. God, you look like a hot mess. I used to tell myself, te ves tirada, which means you look like, you know, <laughs> you look like shit. And <laughs> And now Mm -hmm. like, I have to train myself like, oh, look at you looking good, girl. You know, you, and, and that's the thing we have also been taught. Like, I remember when I was little and I used to tell myself I looked pretty in the mirror because I am a pretty woman. Mm -hmm. And I, and my sister would say, you're maybe pretty on the outside, but you're ugly on the inside. Oh my gosh. And I was jeez. So it, for a long time, it took me, I would never say I was pretty in the mirror and I was only like nine or 10 years old, Mm -hmm. you know? And my sister was like, you're ugly on the inside. And I'm like, okay. You know? So for a long time, it took me a while to finally say, yes, I am pretty. Mm -hmm. I am pretty, you know? And when you look at yourself in the mirror, in your eyes, you're talking to your soul. So mm-hmm. make sure that you are telling yourself, I am beautiful. I am smart. I am intelligent. I am capable. I am knowledgeable. I am loved. I am loving. You know, I have learned so many affirmations and so many mantras mm-hmm. that when these negative thoughts, these old damaging negative thoughts try to come back into my brain, mm-hmm. you know, when the fear, when the anxiety, when the stress, when the panic starts to like really try to haul me back because it, mm-hmm. it literally feels like demons are coming. Did you ever watch that movie Ghost? Mm-hmm. Remember when? Yeah, Patrick Swayze. Of, yes, I love that movie. So at the end, when they find the guy who actually did kill him and all the dark yep. shadows come from, that's how it feels. Yeah, like when you in your darkest moment, that's how it feels. All the dark shadows come and grab you and pull you to your darkest dark. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, nobody can hurt you as much as you can hurt yourself. Um, I am my worst enemy. The things that you tell me are nothing compared to what I've told myself. And when you are in your darkest pit, your dark night of the soul, when you are in the the lowest point of your life, Mm -hmm. you will say the meanest things to yourself. Mm -hmm. So when those things happen to me, when the dark shadows try to pull me back to my old emotional home, I fight the darkness with my mantras, with mm-hmm. my affirmations. And I'm telling you, if you're starting to do your affirmations and it feels uncomfortable, it feels weird, it feels unrealistic because you've never heard those words before. Right. Because it's unnatural. Just like when I first married my husband and he was loving me unconditionally, it was unnatural for me. Mm-hmm. I never experienced that. Not from my mom, not from my dad, not from my sisters, not from my family. I never experienced unconditional love. It was as if you were putting oil into water. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to feel like when you're standing in front of the mirror, looking at yourself and saying, I am beautiful. I am smart. I am capable. I am talented. I am deserving. I am worthy. I am enough. Mm-hmm. If you do that every single day, at first, it's going to feel weird. I guarantee it. But after a while, it's going to start reprogramming your brain. Yep. And what happens is when you start reprogramming your brain, our brains are these beautiful things that are emitting frequency all the time. 
And people don't understand that, that this is a frequency. You're always emitting a frequency. Mm -hmm. If you stop to become aware of people's frequencies, if you go into a local bar at like one o'clock in the morning, just don't even drink, don't do anything. Just go in there and sit by yourself and feel the frequencies that are coming off of people. One o'clock in the morning, a local dive bar, you'll feel that they are at the lowest frequency. Mm, interesting. If you go to an event like a wedding and you're at the wedding and these people are magically in love, you'll feel the frequency of where they're at. Mm -hmm. Because love, joy, and gratitude are at a higher frequency than self-pity, sadness, shame, guilt, neglect. Mm -hmm. You know? So what you are doing when you are saying these words is you're emitting a frequency. And if you know about the law of attraction, like attracts like. So if you're saying the things like, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm stupid, I'm unlovable, I'm an idiot, guess what? Mm -hmm. The universe, the, the universe, the infinite field of intelligence, it only knows one thing. It wants to give you exactly what you want. Right. But we've been asking for all the wrong things. So you true. know, we've been asking for all the wrong things. And that's what I did for 20 years of my life, more than that, 33 years of my life. I was on the wrong channel, guys. Mm -hmm. I was on the wrong frequency. And I was saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And then guess what? The universe source, the divine was like, okay, I'm going to give you things that make you feel exactly that way. So true. Right. And, and, you know, it wasn't like he was just trying God source of divine is just trying to say like, you have a choice. And that's the thing about earth school, because mm -hmm. we're all here to learn a lesson, right? Everybody's always like, well, why didn't God save me? Why didn't God? And the thing is, is that God is waiting for you to make the choice because he, mm -hmm. this is, we all have free will here, right? We all have free will. You could either make this your perfect heaven or your living hell. Mm -hmm. And most of us are making this our living hell, right? Um, a little side note here. I love near death experiences ever since mm -hmm. my dad passed we away. We talked about that. Yeah. Ever since my dad passed away. And ever since I had that event happen where I felt that my dad came and visited me, mm -hmm. um, I've been obsessed with listening to people's near death experiences. I think I've listened to over a thousand. There's so many on YouTube and podcasts that have people just talking about their near death experience. And one really stuck to me because, you know, people always say, hold on, let me take a drink. People are always saying, you know, is there really a hell? And in the thousands and thousands of near-death experiences, every person from every religion, atheist, agnostic, all feel the same thing, unconditional love. There was a couple where I've heard of them not getting the light. And this one in particular really stuck to me. He said he was in the dark darkness and that he felt like he was attached to a tree. And he was in so much pain because the tree's branches were crushing him. And he was like, I must be in hell. I must be in hell. And as he looked around, that it was so dark, but he could visibly see that he was attached to a tree and the tree's branches were crushing him. Oh my gosh. And as he looked at the tree, he realized that each branch was his own negativity, criticism, fear, self-doubt, 
panic, hatred, mm. bitterness, anger, all of it. He was like, wow, these are my own words and thoughts to myself and to others. And he said, he looked up and he saw a bright light and he just was like, he called to the light and he was like, what's going on? You know? And he's like, please help me. And the light came and like helped him. Cause the moment you ask for help, God source, the divine will be there. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. how long you've been in the darkness. Yeah. It will be there. The divine is ready. Ask waiting for you to give it permission mm -hmm. to come help you. And in that moment, the light picked him up out of the forest. And he said, he looked down and he saw hundreds of thousands of people in the forest being crushed. And, um, he told everybody call for help, go to the white light. Wow. And then as soon as those people did that, they started to come up out of their own personal hell. And that's the thing. It's like, we can create our own personal hell, mm -hmm. or we can create our own heaven. And all you have to do is ask the right questions and ask for help from the right people. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that have already experienced the darkness and they're far ahead of the journey that are willing to help you. Exactly. If you ask, I love that you asked me, how do I do this for my podcast? How do I do this for this? Like, you know, and, and it helped, like, I'm glad to share that. I'm so glad to be able to turn around and say, this is how you do it, mm -hmm. you know, because that's what we're supposed to do as human beings is help each other. Right. Once one of us have gone through the darkness, we have to help each other get through the other side, you know? Yes. Yep. And I'm going to be doing that with the next one. I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, wow. Paola. I am like, in a trance right now listening to you talk <laughs> your your story is so oh my gosh I cried I laughed I was like went through all the emotions listening to you thank you thank so you. much for sharing that if anyone wants to continue listening to Paola can you tell everyone where to find you Yes, I am at, I have a podcast called Journey of a Fearless Female. Charlotte has been on it. Actually, Charlotte, you are one of the top three podcast episodes that are, oh. that are yeah, you're one of my top three. That is awesome. Between you and another girl, you guys are exactly the same number. And I'm like, both of you guys are getting the same downloads. It um, was such a great episode. It really such was. Such a good episode. It's called Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm at fearlessfemale.com. I'm on TikTok, dot rosser i'm on instagram fearless female underscore coach i only coach women and i love helping the women who are at the beginning of their healing journey yes well thank you so much for joining us i know my listeners are going to get so much from everything you just shared so thank you for your vulnerability and all these nuggets of like like you say nuggets of wisdom that <laughs> people could actually use and you just gave it to them so i really truly appreciate you Oh, thank you. Thank you again for having me on your show. Of course. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you loved what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes, share it with your friends and tag me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at healinganddealing.podcast and by joining our Facebook group. Be sure to follow me for inspiration, tips, and exciting news about upcoming episodes. If you are interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, or have questions or comments about what you heard today, please email me at healinganddealing.podcast at gmail.com. Your support means the world to me. I'm so grateful to be sharing my voice and the voices of others with you. Now, let's keep healing and dealing. We'll see you in the next episode.